Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Okay, we're going to jump right in and let me go ahead and give away. For these two Sundays, we're going to be talking about the power of us, and I'm putting an emphasis on this whole small group thing and, and why it is so beneficial and opportunistic or opportunity-filled for you to consider getting involved in a small group uh, situation. This passage of scripture here today has just come to life uh, in me during this week, and I started studying it for an entirely different reason. But we're going to jump right in, go verse by verse through about five verses, and hopefully land where I'm hoping that God wants to take us. Second Timothy chapter 1, we're going to read all five verses, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Here we go. This is Paul the Apostle writing to his disciple Timothy. Now we're going to come back all of these highlighted words and look at them in a moment. But it says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. I like the translation, I think King James says, sound mind, I love that. The, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of, of our Lord or of his prisoner, uh, that, that's him, but join with me in the suffering of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our own works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now I wanna jump right into this scripture and talk about the power of us. But what I wanna do wanna say is I'm, I'm, we're going to land on why we need to be together outside of this room. Several years ago, I, I did a series called Beyond Within, Beyond Within. And it comes from the two words that describe uh, the work of the church, number one, is to summon from beyond the force and the power of the kingdom of heaven. And by our prayer and praise, we reach across and pull it in to this dimension. See, the word of God says God is enthroned on the praises of his people. I believe that when we worship God like we do here today, that God's presence is, comes in some deeply intense and personal fashion for us all to experience. And by, by that little humble subjective expression, the kingdom of God, the rule of God is presented to us to say, Father, we invite in a fresh fashion the rule of the king to speak his rulership against the things that would seek to dominate and push back against my life. So we, we call, we're that voice that calls it from beyond and into this world. But there's another word translated in courage that said we are here to call the same kingdom from within to the surface of our lives. Now, I believe the beyond thing happens in larger gatherings like this, but I believe the within, the calling from within, happens as we sit down face to face and shoulder to shoulder with each other. That kind of thing is happening here. Now granted, as is stated, Paul references himself as being a prisoner, he was in jail. But he had spent many face to face moments and when he said, I here to I'm here to remind you, we can fairly assume that when he was in person with a Timothy, that he had a similar face-to-face -face conversation. A, a very similar face-to-face -face conversation. That is important because they were together. 
What I had not noticed until recent months and, and then especially this week it came to bear. I want you to look if you would, Amanda, if you can pop those up there and we'll see if the print is large enough. Uh, the, the, we just did some call outs. Everybody see in verse five, okay? Would you say the word I for I? Okay, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Just hang with me, great, you guys are doing great. Which first dwelt your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I'm sure that it is in you. For this reason, remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Amen. You got all, in the first two verses, you have all this I, me, my, you language. First person pronoun, okay? I, me, my, you, that, that these, the, That's a, 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 this sort of transactional type of language. Something shifts in just a moment. What I want to point out, and I want to stop right here because we're talking about small groups and where to get there, but can I tell you something? For every married person, for every employed person, I could go on with the list. These principles are about to help you, and one is going to speak loudly because you are an agent of the kingdom of God. Listen closely to the preacher here this morning. Being an agent of the kingdom of God means even when you go into environments that may not acknowledge the rulership of God and his kingdom, you get to bring that grace in with you. I, I want to say that again. You become a fragrance in a situation where God begins to work in and through you because he promised you, promised you he would, listen to me, and you begin to have this sort of, when I say ambient or fragrance like uh, one morning I brought here some room freshener and I just sort of sprayed it across the front and waited for it to move out and I think it finally got it back five or six rows back. You begin to smell it. Just begin to happen. It begin to fill the room. That is the same things that happens when believers walk into situations and we act on God's principles rather than react to the circumstances around us. We are a fragrance of something beyond that room that people don't, that people don't, just have a no, no idea what's happening. So I want you to notice here in verses five and six, these number of times that he starts off. Now, this is a mild point of conflict between father, Paul, not truly his biological, but spiritual father, as he would say, his father to a son. Timothy continually wrestled with a hesitancy, a timidity. There's only speculation as to why. Because he was a half-breed, referred to, he was half-Greek, half-Jew, which means he was not accepted by either side. It could have been that. Many have written at great length speculating why that intrinsic issue within him would cause him to be timid or to pull back or to, to be ashamed for some reason. Paul uses that word in a moment, and if you understand that, there's a good reason why. Some think it was because of his youth, because he was young. And because Paul said, I put my hands on you, you're an elder pastor now, go do this thing. Whatever the reason, Timothy wrestled pretty significantly with this timidity, sense of smallness, shyness, pulling back, perhaps shame because it's represented here sort of in a, uh, a negative polarization, if you will. I'll explain that in a moment. But he says to him one more time, and it's as if a father is coming. And I think the words are a little stronger than what we see on the surface. He says, I'm here to remind you. Or in a southern colloquialism, boy, do I need to say this to you again? So there's a, there's a mild sense of conflict. 
Well, why are you emphasizing that? I'm doing this sort of on the side for a moment because I want to show you how this works in our marriages, in our workplace, whether I'm the employer or the employee, when I'm communicating at a point of conflict or in my marriage. Verse 7, let's go ahead and jump right there. For God has not given us a spirit. Now, years ago, several times, in fact, I've taught from this passage, it's one of these times that this Greek term pneuma or pneumatikos appears in Scripture, and it's important. One of the English translations is the, the new international version, version that was published. It was one version of New International that wrote, For God has not given us a Holy Spirit. I believe that. In, in teaching of the past, I've gone into great detail about how I think there's, uh, why I remember about 40 times that this word shows up. And in most Bibles, it's translated with a little s. And in that teaching, I've dug into why that would have been absolutely foreign to Greek thought as well as to the intentions of Paul in his writings. And so fairly, if you just sort of accept that without me needing to dig in anymore, for God has not given us a capital S, you'll see capital S, little s there, a spirit that is a Holy Spirit of timidity, but we have a Holy Spirit of power, we have a Holy Spirit of love, we have a Holy Spirit of sound mind or discipline. And there's three words I didn't include in my outline, but power is the first one. There's nothing that gives us a sense of place more than love. I've talked about that at length in the past and will be again as we come into the Christmas holidays and we move through the hope, peace, love, joy, and love scenario through our Christmas holiday. But there's nothing that gives us a sense of place. If you think about that in a sense of the, the closest and smallest circle of biblically expressed love is a marriage covenant. I hold a place in my life's, my wife's world She's given to one person, and it is the same way. There's no greater sense of place in my life, no single greater expression than the love she expresses toward me and says, I've given you a place of access, intimacy, and influence that I will give to no one else. And so that love, and, and you can see why Paul uses these words here. He says, Timothy, you are not powerless. You have a sense of place. I don't care that you're a half-breed. And there's a clear sense of purpose, a sound mind. I know you're fragmented right now, but God, that's the spirit of God that's at work in you is not one that is facilitating you shrinking back and being ashamed. He is the Holy Spirit that has come to live in through you. He is the spirit of power that is, that term's frequently associated. A spirit that gives you a sense of place and a spirit that gives you a sense of purpose, sound mind. You can know who you are. So let's saddle up and get going. Now, as you come to verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. I just wanna say this, notice the shift in language. Can you see that? For God has not given us, and let me keep, keep reading. Anybody remember what was in verses five and six? I, you, me, my. I, you, let's do this, we'll pretend that we're marching and you can be in Marine Corps boot camp with me like I was 40, oh, more than that years ago. Here we go, ready? I, me, my, you. I, me, my, are you joining in that? That's the language we use. You hear it in culture. We're in a blame culture. 
We're in a blame culture that is creating new academic words to blame someone else for my problems and my existence and to create lines of division between all of us. We are articulating that at all time levels. We march to that drumbeat. I, me, my, you, I, me. I could be better if it wasn't for you. I could be better, uh, you know, it's mine, it's yours. Well, oh my goodness. But can I tell you something? When you reach verse seven, there's no looking back because he says us. Let me just go ahead and reread from verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of his prisoner, but join with me. Notice the only time he uses that personal pronoun. He says, join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling and according to our, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace for which uh, was granted us in Christ Jesus. Everybody hear that language? Now let me help you in your marriage. When you run into a point of conflict, if all you're going to do is use I, me, and mine, there's nothing good going to come out of that. Somebody needs to write down what I'm about to say right here. Do you notice in verse 7 that the Holy Spirit enters at the same point us is stated? I'm going to just let that sink in for fun. You say, I don't know what you're meaning. I get that, but I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit enters at the point that us is declared. Not me, not mine, not you, us. What does that mean? Here's what I think. I believe Matthew 18 comes to be brought to life, but where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. But I think the us word is an invitation for him to join the party. As a matter of fact, are we aware that it is the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of the Bible to write the words that were written? I just love have fun anecdotally playing with the word of God and supposing Paul's there writing from his place of imprisonment and he says, I want you to be reminded that, that, that we're not people of timidity, but we're people of power and love. We, we're people of power and love and a sound mind. I, I believe the Holy Spirit may have been looking over his shoulder as he's writing and tapped him on the shoulder and said, wait, 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 wait. I, I want in on that. I want in on that. I want to make this point. Beloved, in your home or at your workplace, when you're dealing with difficult situations, I don't believe the Holy Spirit gets involved in helping you a bit until you quit pointing the finger and saying, you, me, mine, you, me, mine, mine, I, I, me, you, mine. Well, how can we do this? How is this affecting us? See, I believe when we say us, the Holy Spirit says, I'm here, I'm here. Is anybody getting what I'm saying? It's not until, uh, I love Brene Brown's writing. She said when she went in to have a, uh, one of her dissertation papers reviewed, there was a, a, a professor that she wasn't sure liked her. And she said, she had marked her paper all up and she said, I typically make these off the chart uh, uh, grades and it was just all marked up and this and that. And she said, so I was defensive when I came into the meeting. As I sat across her desk, she just went in and took it apart. And she said, but you know something? This is the greatest stuff you have formatting problems. I think you get off subject here. I got, she went through page and page. She says, hey, let me show you. And so she came around to the side. Her, she got up from her chair and she sat beside her. And she says, now, I, I, this, this sort of, a, I think it's called Chicago or some type of formatting. She says, I see you're having a problem with that. This needs to be here. She said, this could, should be published. This is great stuff. She says, all of a sudden it changed. Watch. When she stopped talking at me and she was talking beside me. Us. 
I will be glad to help you. I think we could, us. See, now where I'm headed with this is small groups because I believe there are things that happen in us factors. The Americans are individualists. It's I, me, my, you, me, my, I, I. No, there's things that only happen at us moments. Now, what, let me show you some of the things that begin to happen. Therefore, do not be ashamed. See, when us moments begin to happen, he says, I want you to know that timidity that's pushing you down, making you feel small. And, and let, me just, let me just give you some quick definitions that we learned that the power of uh, the shame language we learned, that, and we did a series, you can find it online, seven weeks of a series on shame. And the shame is derived from the Garden of Eden and it comes from this. And you can go make sense of this. God is not enough and I am not enough. God is not enough and I am not enough. Now watch how Timothy is dealing with that sense of timidity and shame. But Paul is about to remind him of three things. When he says, for God has not given us, everybody say a spirit, everybody say his presence. Presence, Presence, okay? That's an important thing to remember. He said, but therefore don't be ashamed of the testimony of our of our Lord or of his prisoners, of me, but join with me in suffering uh, with the gospel according to the power of God. I'm just going to ask this question. I don't have time to dig into it. How many want the power of God at work in your life? Okay. Now I want you to note, by the way, note how this conversation starts when he says, I'm aware of the faith that is in you. Remember that? We read it. And I'm aware of the gift that is in you. Faith is believing God is. He says, I know that deposit of faith that you know God is who he says he is. Why is that important? Because if I can believe God is who he says he is, if I can hold it there and I begin to worship God, pretty soon I'm going to find out that he is enough. He is anything. Uh, Where, Lord, remember, mm, sorry, my wife reminds me, she says, when you seek to summarize, you talk really fast and you don't finish sentences. Well, the problem is I got another 30 minutes worth of things to say to you that I'm trying to compress into a much smaller package. I refer to those as dialectical Alka-Seltzer tablets. <laughs> now the problem is, is you need to take them home and drop them in a glass of dialogue and let it sort of fizz and unpack. But when you come here, I want you to be fully aware that metaphorically, I will pin you to the ground, hold you there, open your mouth, and shove three Alka-Seltzer tablets in your mouth or up your nose or wherever I can get them. And so when you leave foaming at the mouth, it's terrible just to waste time on that whole rabbit trail. When we come to these moments, where shame and timidity make us have a sense of powerlessness. There, we need those moments where someone says, look, there's a faith in you. I know it's there. You sung the songs, you made the confession. And not only that, the word gift is the word charisma. That word charis is grace, ma. It's a linguistic modifier, and it means this, a concrete expression of grace. What is he saying? He says, here's where I want to start with my I, me, my, you language. I want you to know I am aware he is in you. I want you to know that not only he is in you, but that he came with a unique deposit of a concrete expression of grace that's in you. It's unique to you, son. It's unique to you, Timothy. I want to remind you of that. 
Now, so let's go. I want to remind you that God has not given us a spirit. And I want you to remind you that as soon as I said us, I'm not just talking about you and me, but I'm talking about that spirit is now engaged in this transaction, working in you, calling that to mind. And I want to say this, listen to me. If the I, you, and me language doesn't end in us, you will never experience the presence, power, and purpose of God in that relationship. If our I, me, my, think about this. Again, I'm talking about small groups. I'm going to get there in a second. But I am so distracted about wanting to talk exclusively this morning about conflict resolution in marriages and at work. Many of you hijack yourself. Many, there are several maybe sitting here and saying, I don't know why so-and-so gets the promotion. Let me tell you something. You start using we and ours and our and us language instead of I, me, my, you and looking to the answers and the possibilities for where God's power might be expressed, the sense of place and purpose, not only for you, but for everyone else. When you begin to do that, the Holy Spirit says, when you say us, I'm there. When you say you, it's all on you. When you say me, it's me. But when you say us, everybody getting that? You see, there's something to it. Why don't you use your stuff? Just this week, I was reading with a pastor and talking about a little complex statement that Jesus makes when he seems to be celebrating an unrighteous steward. I think it's in Luke 16, but he makes this statement. He says, let me give you an example of how people work in the world. Uh, his boss tells him he's going to be fired. And so he goes out and because he's a steward, sort of an accountant for his boss, he drops people's bill and says, instead of paying five, pay four. Instead of paying 10, pay eight. And he says, here's what happens. These guys, when he's fired, they're going to receive him into new places and say, bro, you helped me out. Jesus is not advocating that dishonesty, but he makes this statement. He says, the sons of this world work their systems more than the sons of righteousness. Beloved, why will we be caught up in our minds being conditioned by an assuaging tidal wave of social media, wah, wah, wah. Why would we go back to our workplace or our marriage well, I, me, my, you, I'm entitled this and that. Why would we do that when Jesus says, all you're doing is working the systems of the unrighteous. You're using the systems of the world. I've given you a much better one. Please use it. Jesus said that. The sons of unrighteousness, they use their systems to their own end. We, and the problem with the sons of righteousness, they don't use the system. We, you're hearing one this morning. What if you go back home to your marriage and if you go back into that place where you work and suddenly you're saying, wait a minute, this is not my, me, my... I don't care if so-and-so got promoted, I'm going to change my posture because I don't live with a limited good consciousness. I'm not Buddhist. I'm a son of God. Just because somebody got promoted doesn't mean there's not an opportunity for me because the last time I checked, the opportunity maker is not the person whose name is on a plaque over a door, the opportunity whose name is written in heaven and wrote my name beside his. That's the opportunity maker. So I want him into this situation. The power of us. I'm done now. I got that out of my system. You're clapping because I'm done? or I'm going to talk longer now. I, I, I do realize that I took this left turn because these things so apply. But here's why small groups are important. It's a place where you sit shoulder to shoulder with someone and you have an us conversation. The book of Colossians. Is, is what we'll be looking at. And I love that. Chapter 1, verses uh, 9 through 13, I pray all the time. 
It's about the sufficiency of Christ, about the power. The whole book is built around how you can be an overcomer and how there's a domain in this world. It says you've been moved from the domain of darkness to a kingdom of light. A domain is the Greek word for a limited scope of authority. A kingdom is a sovereign rule. And opening that book, the Holy Spirit speaks through Paul and says, I want to remind every person who will ever read this, I took you out of a, of a kingdom, out of a, excuse me, out of a domain of darkness. That is Satan, the devil, the adversary, hell's rule. It had a limited domain. And I transferred you from a limited domain to a sovereign, limitless kingdom where I will have the final word through you if you will allow me. Why do we need to know that book? You need to know that book in your marriage. Why? Because we live by the rules of the domain of darkness. Well, I guess it's this and I guess it's that history and I guess it's that we need this in our lives and our jobs why because we go there and say well I guess this opportunity or that opportunity or one thing or another and God says no you all you are doing is describing the limited domain in which you live I pulled you out of that and made you a member of the kingdom of God with an unlimited rule and I have the final voice and I have the final word beloved when we sit down together shoulder to shoulder and side by side and say, let us reason together. Let us. What if I could promise you that you're going to walk away from that environment with a greater sense of dynamic presence of God than you will get in a big church room? See, there's a limited us experience. I get it. We share in song. There are reasons for both expressions, but one is not more important than the other. So here's the deal. This is your pastor finding an excuse to preach to you. Create us opportunities. Who do you talk to? Who's influencing your life? Who's showing up and saying, let us, let us. There is a power to us. We've got another week of this. I am so excited about this. I'm so excited about this fall group. Just excited about my own group. Excited about reading through the, the book of Colossians and exploring week by week how the Holy Spirit wants to empower us not to live under the strictures of the rules, the ethics, the domains, the attitude of a dark world in which we live, but we become forces and sources of light that shine into it and change it. Yes. Bring the Holy Spirit into where you work. Bring the Holy Spirit dynamically into your marriage. There's some husbands, listen to me. Every husband, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Every husband. There's some of you that need to go home and you need to take the initiative that was given in the Garden of Eden. And you need to take, I said initiative. I didn't, tell you, I didn't say rule or domination. Initiative. Liability. This says, sweetheart, I know we've been married 7,000 years. Randy, how many years did you say you were married? 40,000? Yeah, 40,000. They had just sung a song 10,000 years. At last encore meeting, you know, 10,000 years will just be started. So Randy was doing the MC, pastor, and, and has spoken a million words publicly, but all of us have those moments. And so he walked up and he, he says, yes, he says, my wife is coming and singing. We've been married 40,000 years. And he mixed 40 with 10,000 and got 40,000. And he wasn't joking. It was very serious. And he attempted to go past it. And everybody in the room lost it laughing. Patty reminded everyone she was not a dinosaur and we're nearly that old. 40,000 years. So you can go home to your 40,000 year marriage and say, we've been married a long time, but God spoke to me today. I do too much I, me stuff. I've done it not just for a week or a month, but I've done it for years. And I heard the preacher say today that I need to invite the Holy Spirit. So I want to use more us and we language. And I'm sorry that I've done that. Please forgive me. Okay? End of story. Okay, you got that? That's going to be a start. It's going to be great. Everybody stand to your feet and I'll, and I'll quit. All right?
Woo. Man, what do you do when the Holy Spirit just shows up in these worship services and interrupts and interjects the moments that he does? And I, I still haven't figured out how to do all that because I just wanted to keep preaching when the words came out of my mouth that our next act of praise is reminding hell of the last time they tried and failed. I mean, I just got stuck right there and almost couldn't get past it. But you did need to hear this word about the power of us. This works beyond this moment. This works beyond this moment. Now, our small group leaders are going to be in the lobby. Uh, they'll be out there for you. As a matter of fact, if you'll stop, they'll be here as well. Uh, in the lobby in particular, you'll be invited to their steps right behind. You know the information booth that's around? There's steps right behind it, and if you'll go there, they'll invite you to come walk up on the steps, and you're going to stand on top of the desk, and then the respective small group leaders are going to bid for you, okay? They brought money, and they're going to bid for you, so, uh, and all the proceeds will go, oh, that's stupid. I've always seen that in my mind, and so they may wrestle for you, they can, if they arm wrestle for you, Hans will probably win, but... Uh, they're coming after you. Matter of fact, do not be surprised if one of them walks up that you don't even know and say, hey, want to be part of my small group? See, then you got to turn them down and say, no, I'm sorry, you have bad breath. And, or whatever you're going to do. But we're going to push this because we need the power of us. Father, I pray for your people. Keep your heads up and your eyes open. I pray for your people. I love my family. I love my tribe. I love this place every week. I love gathering with them. I love hearing their voice join with my voice. I love the fact that you're enthroned on our praise. I love that in this place we are encouraged from a spirit beyond that suddenly comes within in this room. I love that. I love that. And so with great passion, as Paul would say, I've not only given you the gospel, I've given you my heart. Father, we hear give each other our hearts and so for your people bless them keep them cause your face to shine on them be gracious unto them lift your countenance upon them and give them peace we love you we praise you we ask it in jesus name amen don't clap yet because i'm going to tell you one thing i was reminded when i looked at dr madison yesterday i'm going on a little aircraft so you can't bring sheets of plywood and tarps and building products on a six-person airplane but uh, he and uh, Kent Loveday uh, drove to Kingsway, Kingsway Charity from King's Pharmaceuticals, King Pharmaceuticals, and came back with a bag and a certification of about $175,000 worth of antibiotics. I can only carry about half of that with me on this little plane, but with all of the bacteria, disease, standing water and everything, I want you to know that I'm praying that this little bag is going to be sort of a, uh, a, a, a sort of expansive expression of what we're going to be doing in the spirit. Um, if you have time in the weeks and months to come, we will be taking some trips down there and where you get to work and, and put hands on the ground, sweat with people, pray with them, minister to them in life. Okay, I want you to do this right now. I'm going to count to three, and we're just going to clap and say, God, I thank you for our family here. And then you can turn and hug somebody's neck on the way out. One, two, three, you go. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. I thank you for our family. I pray your blessings in Jesus' name. I love you guys too much. I pray you have a blessed, blessed week. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.